All right. Good morning again, everybody. Welcome back. Or if this is your first time, welcome. We're going through a Bible study in the book of Philippians. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. This is, I believe, the third, uh, not the third time we're going through, but this is the, the third teaching, I guess, in the series. And uh, just by way of introduction again, this is a letter that Paul is writing from prison. Paul has had the freedom to muck about, you might say, the freedom in Christ to go around and proclaim the good news. The good news that the Messiah of the Jews is not the Messiah of the Jews only, but of the entire world. So Paul has gone about from uh, from city to city, town to town, region to region. And what he does very often, we know this from the book of Acts, is he'll go to a town and he'll find a synagogue there and he'll start telling the Jews about their Messiah. And then he'll go into the marketplaces and there will be Jews and Gentiles. And he'll start talking to them about the Messiah, the Jews, who's come for the whole world. We know that Paul, from, uh, from a different place, we know that Paul made tents. So that's probably one of the things he was doing in the marketplace is he had his own booth or something and he was selling. And as he would talk to people who would come and look at his wares and his merchandise for purchase, he would get into these conversations. So it wasn't exactly like Paul was the guy with the, wearing the sandwich board and the, and the bullhorn. Uh, not necessarily that that is always a bad thing. But just, just so you know, when Paul was going about, it wasn't like he was just shouting to anybody and nobody at the same time. He was actually rather strategic. So, but all that had come to an end. Because Paul, here, is in prison. Now, Paul had been in prison several times, actually. These short imprisonments, you know. For example, in, in the town of Philippi, which is the people to whom this letter is addressed, when Paul was there, he was in prison overnight. Um, and then God miraculously broke him out. And Paul stayed there anyways. And in doing so, the jailer who was about to kill himself came to know Jesus and his whole family. And that was part of the beginning of this church to which Paul is writing. And last time we talked a little bit about Paul's affection and his love for this small church, his love for this congregation, and, and his deep prayer uh, that their love would abound more and more in all wisdom and discernment, that they'd be able to know what was truly excellent so that they could be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So we talked about that last time. Paul might even have that very same jailer and his family in mind as he's, as he's writing this letter. And now what Paul is going to do is he's going to start really addressing his situation. And I'm going to do something this time and next time that I've never done before. This is kind of an experiment here. I'm actually going to teach uh, some of the same part of the passage twice. So what I want to do is I want to go through verses 12 through uh, 26. But next time we're going to go through, um, well, the latter half of 18 or 19 through, uh, through the end of the chapter, which is 
verse 30. So there's going to be a bit of overlap between this one and the next one, and that's just because the, the, the latter section has so much in it. I want to address a little bit of what's there this time and then a little bit next time. So in this, in this particular s- segment I want to go through, Paul really goes through uh, three things that are a major problem for him in his life. Four, uh, three major obstacles. What we would look at, situations in life, we would look at them and we would, we would think, man, someone's got it out for me. Things are going backwards. The plan is being blown up. What's going on? Is God really in control? Does he really care? Is he still working with me? Things that if they happen to us, our natural tendency is to throw our hands up. But Paul's response is to rejoice and see that the gospel is like this unstoppable force moving throughout the universe. And Paul is just along for the ride. So we'll get into it. I'm going to read the text first and then, and then we'll start working our way through it. So this is the book of the Philippians. Paul is speaking. Chapter 1, verse 12. He says this. I want you to know, brothers, once again, this is brothers and sisters. Adelphi, which is the, the Greek term that is a collective. Uh, it, it's, I guess you'd say it's a masculine term that refers to the collective. The, the, the term of grammar is synecdoche. It's when you refer to one thing. When, when you use the word for one thing, which is actually referring to many things. And we do this all the time, and we have done it all the time. Paul's doing it here, but if, if we were to literally translate it into, into English, it means brothers. But he has in mind brothers and sisters, just like uh, historically, to use the word man or mankind, refers to all humanity. And I just want to take a moment here and say, let's not get caught up on what we hear so much as what Paul means. We've come to a time... In the last 60 years or so, where we say words no longer have, mean, have the meanings that the authors intended, words have the meaning that the hearers hear. That is a very dangerous idea. Now, it is on, on an author to communicate well to their hearers and knowing what their hearers hear when they use certain words. But because this author is not with us now, and it does not have us in mind when he speaks. We have to focus on the intention of the author at that time. So Paul's intention is that this should be for brothers and sisters. I know for some people, you, you might get really hung up on what you call sort of a, a pseudo-sexism in Paul's language or in the biblical languages. Um, but these, these all use these sort of synecdoches. It was totally understood that it was not referring only to men, but to men and women. Uh, we have a problem with our hearing so much, uh, so much more than the authors of Scripture have a problem in their communicating. So just a sidelight. If, if you ever get hung up, let's give a little grace and try and understand what the author intended rather than focusing on our own feelings and reactions when we hear particular words. Okay, all that. We're just only a few words in. Okay. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, brothers, it says, 
that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's meaning his imprisonment. The fact that I'm in prison has, has, gone, has only served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, uh, yeah, out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all, uh, that I will not be at all ashamed. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the, in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this... I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Okay, we're going to stop there. This is the word of the Lord. There is, there's a ton there. You can see why that latter part, I'm like, oh man, I, I'm not going to get anywhere close to, to digging into what's actually there if I were to do it all here in, in one teaching. So he begins in, in verse 12. I want you to know that what has happened to, to me has served to advance the gospel, meaning his imprisonment. So the first thing I mentioned, there were three things that are afflicting Paul. The first one is his imprisonment. And this is the first, the first one of those things where I was saying, if it happened to you, you'd be like, man, it's all over. You know, if I, if I went to jail, you know, I, I could be, I could conceivably say, it's over. This whole being a pastor thing, it's, it's gone belly up. The, the, the ministry is over. I guess somebody else is going to take care of it. But my life is uh, now I'm behind bars. Now I got I to gotta watch out for myself. There are new threats. There are new things that are coming at me. <clears throat> I got I to gotta focus here. But Paul's attitude is he just simply shifts gears and rolls with it. You know, the, the terrain starts getting crazy, rocky, bumpy. He just downshifts into a lower gear. And let's, and let's the car keep going. Paul is in prison and he says, you know what? You would think that this was a bad thing. But the whole imperial guard now has heard the gospel. You know, so Paul's, Paul's chained to somebody all the time. And so he's chained to, he's, he's chained to uh, I don't know, Romanos. And he says, hey, you know why I'm here? You know why I'm chained to you? I know you're just coming to work. But let me tell you, here's why I'm here. I'm here because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Oh, well, let me tell you. You know, so he says that to Romanos, and then 
four hours later, six hours later, whatever it is, a new soldier comes along, gets chained to Paul, and Paul says, oh, yeah, you're starting a new shift. I know you're just here for work. You want to know why I'm here? And so Paul is sharing the gospel with the various guards that are chained to him. You know, and of course, uh, as the guards chained to him, he, he actually d- does encounter other people. People are coming and visiting Paul. And so Paul is talking to them about the gospel and the soldiers over here. So somehow this has made its way. You know, maybe the soldiers are going home. Hey, you know what? I was chained to this, this prisoner today. And he was telling me this crazy story about this guy who came back from the dead. Uh, or, you know, maybe he's, he's non-hobnobbing next to the water cooler with other soldiers on break and saying, Hey, you know, have you heard about this? prisoner, this guy named Paul, man, he told me some wild things. Either way, the, the gospel is making its way around the whole imperial guard. People are talking about it. Maybe people are even looking forward to it. You know what? I got that shift with Paul coming up. I, I got some more questions for him. Either way, the gospel is going forward. Question. You certainly have at least something in your life that is a thorn in your side. Something you don't want to be there. Something that is annoying. Something that appears to be a hindrance. It appears to be a hindrance. Here's my question. Could that very thing be something... God wants to use to advance the gospel. Are you hurting? Are you physically afflicted? Are you emotionally afflicted? Are you under duress and anxiety? If that's the case, I'm sorry. That sucks. It sucks to live in a fallen world and have things fall apart, have things break down. At the same time, God doesn't waste it. God doesn't just say, oh, man, that sucks. God's going to take evil and he's going to wrestle it to the ground and kill it and transform it into something good. What good might he be desiring to transform your affliction into? For example... How might he be using this to turn you into a more patient person? As you are afflicted, and other people know about it, by the way, don't hold it to yourself. If your life is hard, I'm not saying we should run around and and just be complainers all the time, but let somebody know about it. Let somebody know about the fact that your life is hard and ask them to pray for you. But the fact that you are going through this affliction and somebody else knows about it and they see it, your life, how you respond to it, how you deal with it, will be a witness either of Christ's life in you, of the gospel moving forward deeper into your own heart, or it'll be a witness to your flight from the gospel. God can and will do great things with the things that hinder our life. The real question is, are we going to be able to lean into it and see that? Paul has ultimate confidence that that's what's happening. So the gospel is going out into the, 
into the whole imperial guard. And furthermore, Paul says that the brothers, and of course, here again, it's brothers and sisters, who have heard about Paul's affliction and his imprisonment, they've become even more bold to proclaim the gospel without fear. You know, his imprisonment has not only uh, resulted in the whole imperial guard hearing the gospel, but those who will also proclaim it have become more bold and courageous to go out and share it. So even more people are hearing the gospel outside of the imperial guard. More people are hearing the gospel because Paul is in prison. Oh man, God is at work. Nothing can stop him. You know, the devil comes in, he throws a wrench in everything. God just keeps going. The gospel just keeps going. Man, what kind of confidence and joy does Paul have? Second thing that's a hindrance to Paul. He says that even those who are going out and and proclaiming the gospel, some of them have actually become kind of a problem. He says that some preach out of envy and rivalry. And he says later on in verse um, 17, he says uh, they proclaim... Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So there are people who are, who are kind of thumbing their nose at Paul going, neener, neener, you're in prison. I get to go out and proclaim the gospel. Uh, he, I don't think that Paul here is referring to, some, some people de- debate whether these are the Judaizers that Paul's addressing in Galatians and perhaps in, uh, in 2 Corinthians. There's a debate whether or not uh, these are people who are proclaiming a false gospel. That is gospel of Jesus and something else. That that likely, I'm of the opinion that that isn't necessarily what Paul is referring to. I think he's referring to people who have the same message. There's only one gospel. They have the same message but a different motive. We see this nowadays, you know, very often. I got to tell you, as a a preacher, as somebody who, who... makes their living on the gospel, it is, uh, it is difficult to, to um, separate motives. There is a part of you that genuinely wants to proclaim the gospel out of love for Christ and love for other people, but there's another part of you that wants to get good at proclaiming the gospel, wants people to think that you're competent, that you're good at what you're doing. So there's a part of you that's also wanting to succeed, wanting to have success, which often can come, uh, can come at the expense of someone else. There are mixed motives. And Paul says, you know what? People got mixed motives in proclaiming the gospel. Some people can make a lot of money off the gospel if you haven't noticed. But... If people are meeting Jesus, Paul's going to rejoice. Paul's going to rejoice. Not that they have these mixed motives, not that they're doing it out of rivalry or trying to afflict him. But hey, if more people are meeting Jesus, Paul is going to rejoice in that fact. Third thing that Paul has as an affliction, not only is he in prison, but he may be on death row. He doesn't know if he's going to live out the year. He actually doesn't know. He says in in, uh, verse, uh, verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not 
uh, not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, will be honored. Uh, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. See, where he says deliverance there in verse 19. This will turn out for my deliverance. What he's saying is, he's not saying, I know that I'm going to get out of prison and, and be returned to you and be able to be free to proclaim the gospel. His de- deliverance there means either, yes, he will be delivered from, from prison and he will be able to go out and proclaim the gospel and see his friends and share the life of, of the communities that he has that he has piloted. But deliverance there also means that he will be delivered from prison through death. He will be delivered from what he calls in Romans this body of death that's working against him, that's pulling him, constantly pulling him away from the Lord, that he has to fight with. He says, the things I wish I would do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing, he says in Romans. That's what he, why he says, whether by life or by death, Christ will be honored in his body. Paul doesn't know. He might be on death row. His life may be coming to an end. Indeed, one day it did come to an end. We know that Paul was executed. Paul was beheaded under the reign of Nero, probably somewhere in the early to mid-60s of the first century. And nevertheless, Paul rejoices. Here's another question for you. Whatever it is you're going through in life, whatever you're experiencing right now, How would that change if you knew, if you knew that in six months you wouldn't be here anymore? In a year you wouldn't be here. Or you highly suspected, you knew that there was a very good chance. You know, we all know we all know we're gonna die. The the death statistics are still impressive. One out of every one person. 100% accuracy? Well, not entirely. Uh, Jesus died, but he came back. So, uh, yeah, even Jesus. Everyone dies. One out of one. We all know that. But we're we're able to sort of put that out of our mind for most of our life. Until suddenly something hits. And it can hit early life. Midlife, late life. You know, some people die as, as we sort of expect it to happen. You grow old, you grow frail, your body slowly breaks down, and then you die in your sleep, or you get cancer, and you try treatment for a while, and then you say, it's just not worth it anymore. We, everyone thinks that's going to be them. And so you can put that out of your mind until the time comes. What if you put that in your mind right now? What if you knew you would die in a year? You know, my dad didn't know it. But he had a tumor in his heart the size of an egg. It was like a ticking time bomb. And he was in his what? Mid-50s? You don't know when your time is going to come. 
People die every day. Could be you today. Could be me. How would that change your perspective? You would be forced to look at things that go beyond this life. You would be forced to. You would have to start thinking about what's going to last, what's going to matter. This is something that people typically do as they reach retirement age. They go, what lasted? What mattered? I still may have a few healthy years left. How can I really make that matter? What kind of legacy will I leave behind? Paul was already thinking about that. And he was thinking, not just what kind of legacy am I going to lead, because that's a very self-centered kind of way of thinking about it, which we are all self-centered. And not just Americans or people who grew up in the West, everybody really is. It's called being part of the fallen human condition. It's part of our uh, total or ubiquitous depravity. That term total depravity doesn't mean uh, there's there's not an ounce of good inside of you. It means that every ounce of good is mixed with at least another ounce of bad. It really means the ubiquity of it. Means that it's every single cell in your body has has a shade of this to it. I can tell you right now, when I stop and think about what how how it would be different if I knew I was going to die in a year, I can tell you something that I that I would do. I would stop caring about what people thought of me. A lot more. I would stop holding myself back in order to um, keep keep up with social proprieties, you might say. I would stop worrying about whether or not I was doing the right thing, whether or not what I was doing was proper and appropriate. Of course, I would care about doing the right thing in the eyes of the Lord, but not so much the right thing in the eyes of everyone else. Oh, will this be awkward if I do that? Oh, well, they might think that I wouldn't care about that so much. What's your thing that you're holding in? What's, what's your thing that's driving you, your fear that's driving you, that if you knew you were going to die, you'd say, I don't care anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. The gospel is something that began long before any of us was born, and it's going to continue long after you and I are dead. It's a movement that God is doing. God is pushing, pushing. It's like light, the light of the morning that just keeps pushing up, pushing away, pushing away the darkness until it's not dark anymore. It's the full, broad daylight. That's what the gospel is doing. And Paul is rejoicing because he's saying, I get to be a part of that. I get to be a part of that pushing. the. And I might not be here to see the full light of day in my own lifetime. But I'm a part of this uh, unstoppable movement of God. And yeah, you can always, if you look at the other side of the sky, say, oh, there's still darkness there. Oh, there's still darkness there. Oh, there's darkness over here. 
Paul says, I'm not focusing on that. I'm focusing on how the light is penetrating that darkness. I look at that darkness in order to see how the light's going to penetrate through it and drive it away. If I knew I was going to die in a year, I wouldn't worry about trying to fix all the problems of the world because I would know there's no way for me to do it. By the way, if you have another 65 years, you're still not going to solve all the problems of the world. But you might be able to deal with something right in front of you. If I had six months or a year, I might be able to deal with something right in front of me. What was right in front of Paul? Here's a Roman guard. I can talk to this guy today. What do we have in our hands? A letter. I can write a letter. Our world and our perspective on it changes when we refocus, when we step back, when we see the big picture of what God is doing. When we think about what will last. This was one of Augustine's big things in his sort of philosophy, his, his coming to Christianity, was he saw, that all the, he saw that all of life, all the pleasures of life, everything you can get out of life is fleeting. It's, it's all, well, he hadn't studied the Old Testament, but it's all hevel. He was very much a sort of Ecclesiastes kind of guy where he, he sought pleasures and he knew that they were always fleeting. There was always something, there's always some emptiness holding him back. What's going to last? What's going to penetrate through? What's going to go beyond this life? What's going what's to actually matter? How can you live forever? He found the gospel to be true. That was the key. You have to be connected to God. In order to have an immortal life, in order to have a life of pleasure, in order to have a life of purity, in order to have a truly good life, the best life, you have to be connected to Jesus. Because no matter how good you might have it here, here it will be tainted. And no matter how good you have it here, that tainted good is only going to be temporal. Death will separate you from it. And then what? This is a message even for Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or whoever the next person who's the richest person in the world is going to be. The gospel is more important than anything else we have going on. Because it is the thing that starts before us and goes beyond us. We're just along for the ride. And that can be a great ride or it can be a terrifying one. And sometimes it is both at the same time. Either way, Focus your attention on Jesus. Focus your eyes on Jesus. Focus on what he is doing in the world around you. If you focus your attention on what the advertisers are telling you should focus your attention on, on what the, the pundits and the talking heads on the news are telling you to focus your attention on, if you focus your attention on what your coworkers and the people around you 
of what society, what's normal, tells you to focus your attention on, you're going to be looking at darkness and you're not going to be looking at how the light is penetrating. You're not going to be like Paul. Your circumstances are going to overwhelm you and you're going to slide into despair and cynicism. Or you will, you will spin your wheels on how to fix things that are broken because guess what? There's broken stuff everywhere. You're going to spend all your time and energy trying to fix something that's broken and you might fix a thing or two, but there's going to be even more broken along the way. And you'll see it because that's what you're looking for. Let Jesus capture your attention as he captured Paul's attention. Let him capture your heart. Capture what you set your mind and your heart and your thoughts on. And then you will start to see. You won't ignore the darkness. Paul knows he's in prison. He knows he could die. He knows there's people out there who are competing with him who are trying to afflict him, even while he's in prison. He knows that, but that's not what he's focusing his attention on. He says, in spite of all that, those are a whole bunch of, you know, bumps on the road that this, that this thing is just going to run over. The gospel is just going to run right through all those barriers. They're there, but they are no competition for what God is doing. What if we had that attitude today? How would it change our circumstances? If that's you, congratulations. That is not me much of the time. I need the letter to the Philippians. I need to look at Paul. I need to look at God's word. Do you see why God put this in here? In his wisdom, he left us this so that we could see, we could recenter ourselves, see what is truly important, and have our minds and our hearts be captured by him. Come to Jesus today and let him capture your attention.